Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 139. Hey, Albert, did you know that the McLeod is a special tool that combines a rake and a hoe and is excellent for clearing debris? It was created in 1905 by U.S. Forest Service Ranger Malcolm McLeod. Ooh, a history segment. Wow, that was awesome. Thanks, Julius. I knew you liked history. <laughs> uh, well, actually, today we're going to be talking about hot shots. And when I was reading through the rules the first time, I noted that there's there's two icons on the dice, and we'll definitely get more into this later. But there's two icons on the dice, a red axe and a blue hoe. And the rules refer to that as a Pulaski and a McLeod, and actually give the one paragraph explanation for both those things. And I was like, hey, <laughs> Albert's, <laughs> Albert's going to love that one. And I do. That is awesome. Well, th- thanks for teaching us a little history here uh, on this game we're going to talk about later. <laughs> <laughs> What's the origin of the Pulaski? The origin of the Pulaski? For those of yeah. you who are curious, the Pulaski is the primary tool used in wildfire. It looks like a big axe with a, with a pointy back. It has a steel head that combines an axe with a spade and is good for digging and chopping. It is named after its inventor, Ed Pulaski, a famous firefighter who saved many lives during a fire in 1910. Wow, okay. That's cool. That's cool. Are they historically like blue and, and red or just I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's let's move on. That that was a great history segment though. That that's a good start. Yeah, I figured you'd be all over that one. So Albert, <laughs> what's new with you? Have you done any shopping recently? <laughs> I've not done much shopping lately, no, but I did get some games. But the, speaking of shopping, there is that new shopping thread coming along. Yes. For those of you who aren't over on the guild, um, there's a new, possibly a geek list, possibly a thread coming up, which is going to be called, and I hope it's called this, the One Player Guild Collective Acquisition Disorder Geek List. Um, kind of hope that's going to be the name. That's my personal vote because I like that one more <laughs> than the On Your Table ones because we have an On Your Table. Anyway, I kind of like calling it the One Player Guild Collective Acquisition Disorder, which is essentially people are going to be talking about new games that they've got, that they're excited to play, that they're actually purchasing things like that or blaming it on solitary games on your table. Who knows? Whatever reasons it is. Um, I don't know. To me, this is of a big interest to me because I, I like seeing the new stuff coming out and I'll like – I'll glance over the solitaire games in your table to see the new stuff, but there's also a bunch of old stuff, and I've seen this thing before, and I like seeing what's new, what's coming out. Um, this is probably going to be a very bad geek list for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it's nice to know all the stuff coming out, but yeah, they're also shiny usually. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the problem with browsing the one game, the solitaire games on your table. It's, there's so many of them draw my eye in. <laughs> That's why I stop looking at when people post pictures. I just avoid those pictures. And when people post pictures, really? It's the pictures that do it for you? Well, yeah, I'll avoid them because a lot of times they just look really cool. There's some really great shots of games in there. I hear that. <laughs> I don't know. I, when, I, I, when I was looking more at it, when really back when I was in school, I had more time to sit on the games table and I saw people like talking about their experiences. For me, that was always very exciting to me, which is why way back when I used to actually take the time to read those out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, before it's a thousand a week month. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. How much is that? A thousand a month? That's thirty a day roughly? Something like that. It's a ton. Yeah. Wow. It's full up. Thirty a day is a lot of games. Yeah, that's a lot to read. Mm-hmm. But yes, that that geek list things. when it comes out, that's gonna be so bad on my wallet. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, okay, let's yeah, that that's gonna be bad. Speaking of wallet, let's talk about another a new game that's out. English Eerie by Scott Mal- Malthouse? Malthus? I'm not sure how you pronounce his name. I'm sorry. This is a solo RPG by the same person that designed um, Quill, the letter writing game, mm-hmm. which I talked briefly in the, the really short mini-sode one time. Um, this is a neat game. You're playing... Um, a, you're you're going to write a story in the style of a journal and sort of like a reading a story from by M.R. James or Arthur Mackin or Algernon Blackwood and that, that sort of a dark, eerie atmosphere. And in this game, you're going to go through through six or seven nights of a, a writing in a journal. And, and the, the, the rules suggest you do you play one night each real night just to, to kind of go with the atmosphere and all that. It looks really neat. That's available through DriveThruRPG in a pay-what-you-want sort of style. So check that out. I'll include links to that. 
And what's the mechanic for the game? The mechanic, it uses a dice and a deck of cards. And it's really just a lot of imaginative writing. Um, there's a few scenarios at the back of the book. You're going to pick a scenario. Some of them are based on some of these stories. Like I think there's one by Algernon Blackwood. The I think it's by him. The I forget the name of it. It's, it's set on a river where you're going on the character is going on a river and it gets creepy. Um, but you pick one of these three or four settings. One of the scenarios is modern day times where you go spend a, a week in the woods, you know, disconnecting from technology. But the each day you're going to draw two cards from a deck. And depending on what cards you go get, it affects what happens. And then you kind of, you know, you think up about the the effect based on the card, and then you write it down in your journal. And I feel like I ask this just about every time you bring in a solitaire role-playing game. But on the scale between writing a novel and playing a Dungeons & Dragons game, where does it fall out on this? Like, is there rules that you're playing through a, a co-op type game? Or is it just simply a framework to help you write a story? I would say it would definitely fall more on the on the writing side of the scale, the, the Dungeon Dragon side of the scale. It is very much writing a story. There are mechanics in there to to make it random and and to impact what you write. Um, for example, your character is going to have two traits. Oh, I forget what they were called now. I think it was like willpower and spirit, or I'm sorry, or something else in spirit. And as you spend those, if, for example, if you're not a spirit, your character dies. Um, and it, and you use the other one to turn bad things potentially into something good. But you're totally writing yourself using the cards you draw and the different plot points mentioned in the scenario together to, to come up with your own story. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it, it also mentions one of the components you want to use is a, a candle. So you could play in the evening at candlelight just to make <laughs> it more, more atmospheric, which I thought was really neat. But yes, I mean, that's available. Like I said, it's $4 US through DriveThruRPG. Albert, have you uh, paid attention to any of Tom Vassell's works over at the Dice Tower? No, I have not in ages. So every year, I believe, he does the his, his personal top 100 games of all time. And for quite a long time, it's been a thing that his favorite game is Cosmic Encounter, which you're probably familiar with. Mm-hmm. I've heard of that. And of late, this year, actually recently... Um, his top 100 game got kicked down to number two and was replaced with Gloomhaven. Mm, okay, that's a popular game. It's a very popular game. For anyone who's not familiar with it, Gloomhaven is a campaign-style um, dungeon crawl game where you get to pick a character and advance up their deck. So it's a hand hand-building type game. And you're building their deck and using cards for multi-use and making your way through a dungeon. And there's a number of different scenarios, and they're unlocked in a campaign-style game. Although it's all written down on various sheets of paper, so it's sort of legacy-ish ish, um, as you're going through the whole thing. So Gloomhaven, big giant box. Currently Tom mm-hmm. Vassell's top 100 game of all time. And he actually mentioned in the video where he released this that his favorite way to play it is solo. No. No, he doesn't like solo games. Right. This, to me, is... No. This is, to me... If there's, I think, one person who I can say single-handedly has created the most negativity towards solitaire gaming, I'd say it's probably Tom Vassell. Because he's definitely had some things to say about it. He, until now, has not really liked solitaire gaming understood solitaire gaming encouraged solitaire gaming even though there's other co-hosts of his which do like and frequently do solitaire gaming he doesn't get it he doesn't play it he doesn't do it and to hear that this is coming out like even some of his co-hosts called him out like they wanted to say hey just a second your top game is a solo game that you're playing solo it's like no 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 and <laughs> there's a certain amount of denial wow. which is going on here but <laughs> like really just to see this is continuing to grow. The solitaire gaming revolution just continues to grow and overtake everything. To hear that now Tom Vassell is even starting towards joining in. Oh, man, that's ridiculous. Yeah, and not just starting to join in, but it's his top game? His top game. That's right. I don't, wow, okay. I don't know if maybe he'll get over it once he gets through all the gameplay and has played through all the scenarios. I have no idea. 
I don't even have a copy myself, and I've stopped playing it myself. I have not played it since the last time we talked a bunch about it because that group advanced on without me. And so I was left behind like, I didn't get to play all the oh. things in the middle. So I'm waiting until I get my own copy. I'm probably going to play through it solo or maybe with my wife or some other people if they want to play through. But I'm expecting to play, so- play through it solo and get a full experience out of it without people getting ahead without me. Um, and <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, it's an excellent game. It's really very good. I don't know if maybe he's going to drop it off once he plays through the whole thing. Who knows? But to hear, to, to hear that it's his, solo game man yeah wow that, that is well i mean i guess that's great because that, that just maybe he'll start talking positively about solo games and just get more people aware about him and you know that can only be good who knows like i know he has some control presumably over his podcast at one point in time he had a solo I section so. on i hope well he had a solo section on it so i assume he's aware of the growing demand for solo games, but I definitely know was that he's he, not buying into it. Was he doing the solo section? No, no, no. no he, right? It was a contributor who was doing it. Okay. I can't remember who it is or if he has any association with the guild. Um, but I did listen to it and I thought it was, I thought it was pretty well done, but that's beside the point. So I assume he's aware of the growing, the growing trend towards it, but he definitely hasn't said nice things about it in the past. And hopefully he'll, that'll start changing. Who knows? Mm-hmm, yep. So, so you know, it'd be nice if he joins the the one player guild, but <laughs> I think he he would get so much grief if he did. I think he wouldn't stay. Probably, which would be a shame. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's interesting. That really is. Mm-hmm. Look at that! Finally, solitaire gaming has become a thing. <laughs> All right, let let's move on to the next subject then. Uh, Untold adventures await. It's a new. It's a game that I backed through Kickstarter. Wait, I just I, got my is that yesterday. Untold colon Adventures Await or Untold Adventures Await? I <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. I, that's a good question. You said I, it differently. I didn't see a colon in our pre-show. You said it differently than you just now said it, and now I'm confused. I don't know. It doesn't have a colon in the box. The word Untold shows up bigger than the other two words. I think it could be Untold Adventures Await. Or it could be untold adventures await. Either works. <laughs> and either fits. And so this is a game by Creativity Hub, the makers of Rory Story Cubes, and it uses Rory Story Cubes to play. Um, it's another role playing game that I think you'd probably find on the BGG side of the website, not the RPG, that's my guess. Because it's a, yeah, it's a on lighter role playing game. Hmm? It's on the BGG side. And officially on BGG, it's actually untold cola, adventures await. Yeah, okay, well, look at that. So there you go. Well, I'm going to keep the colon optional. I recommend people doing the same. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the game, I mean, what you're going to do is you're going to roll dice. You're going to you're going to pick a setting and a theme. You're going to throw out some boards on the table for the five parts of the story. You know, an introduction, a climax, an ending, that sort of thing. And then you're going to start rolling Rory story cubes to fill in the story and, and kind of tell a story guided by the cubes. And by the tiles on the board that are going to give a lot of direction to your story. But basically, you're creating a story. You know, if you're playing solo as yourself, you know, one-player game, or cooperatively with friends. Um, it, it is very much an RPG in that it isn't about winning the game or losing the game. There is no win or loser in the end. You say that like that's an RPG thing. Every RPG I've played, there's a win and a lose. Every RPG? Really, I mean, unless it's a one shot, but it, like if you play D and D, there isn't a winner loser, right? You you play, you I adventure. Mean, if my guy goes, if my guy die. goes down, then that's a loss. If we if we make it through whatever thing I've done and I get loot and good stuff, that's a win. That's interesting. I've never thought of it that way. Every time I've played, it's just a matter of making it through the story and and, and hopefully getting treasure. I've never thought of it as a winner. I mean, I've I've had games where I've played. I'm thinking more of the White Wolf games that I've played. Um, okay. Where yeah, we've we've lost. We got chased out of the haunted house, or we walked into an encounter and did not come off the better for it, and we've we've come out with a net loss. Yeah, I consider that I consider that a loss. So when I play role playing games, yeah, that's it. okay. Well, fair enough. That's interesting. I wouldn't necessarily consider the loss. Um, I think it would just make the story more interesting. You and I play games differently yeah. when it comes to these role-playing maybe, games. Maybe so. Maybe As so. is evident well, from the fact that I keep asking every time we do this, is this a Dungeons & Dragons or is this a <laughs> writing a book? Uh, this is – gosh, that's 
smack in the middle, I would say. Smack in the middle. Uh, I looks would say pretty. because because it is you're very much telling a story together, right? You're you're creating a story and it's about the story. Um but it is a big game because you're rolling the dice to to make that story. It's 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 a different style of game. I would say it's more like a fiasco. Right, which, where which, is a, fiasco, which is a game. I mean, there's definitely a set of rules for that one. You just and that be, does have a winner. Yeah. I mean, that definitely has a clear winner too. But but the but in the way you build the story together, it's a cooperative game. Mm-hmm. Right, that sort of thing. What's that? Or microscope? That one's another way. There's an necessarily a winner or loser. You just build a world together. And this is similar. And the way it plays is, you sit down and you come up with a setting and a theme, and then you start playing episodes. And each time you play, it's one episode. And you just go through different episodes, and the story would evolve over time that way. So, so it really is more of an RPG than a board game, I think. It looks really or, nice. Mm-hmm. It is really nice. The the components are nice. The box, it's a nice it's a nice looking box, and everything fits in it very snugly and well done, and all that. Is are the components supposed? I mean, the components from my looking at it here, just in the pictures, it looks kind of like not that you're telling an adventure, but more like you're creating. Uh, a movie type thing is what it looks like. Yeah, and they kind of word things to make it feel like, yeah, there are episodes in a TV show. That's what it feels like. And the description sort of says, you know, it's season one, season two, or whatever in, in the, uh, you would write on your card. Hmm. And each each time you play, it's one episode in the show over many seasons, maybe. Maybe not. And for you, does that um, take you out of, like, you're not playing a role you're writing a story in that case. With a role-playing game, your character is you. With this, your character is not you. You're writing. You're writing a story. You're telling a movie. I, you know, in my mind, it is me being a character, and it's going to be turned into a movie later on. <laughs> my 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 life was just that awesome. <laughs> That's the way I think I see it. Mm-hmm. So. So yeah, so there, there you go. I mean, it's a nice game. It should be out soon, right? It's just getting to Kickstarter Kickstarter backers now, and I think it's already released at Essen, actually. That, yeah, that's what I saw. Hmm. So, so check that out. It uses story cubes. It brings the original set, the ones in the orange box. I think you could replace them with any others you want to. Um, I haven't tried that. The rules don't mention anything about it. So I need to figure that out still. Interesting. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you think I should try it out? Or am I too much of a skeptic? Uh, no, I think you should try it. You know, I think it's something that'll be fun with kids. Oh, that's a good idea. I wonder what they would think. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it you're supposed to write down on a character sheet your information. If your kids are still too young to write, I think that's okay. You don't really have to write this stuff down, or you could write it down for them later <laughs> if need be. Uh, you know, the idea is still you can get to tell a story. Hmm. And I think, and it's got, and it guides you through the process. So it's a little bit easier. Alrighty. Well, how about one more game I want to talk about? Dawn of Peacemakers. Okay. Give me just a second while I actually pull this back up on Kickstarter. Because that's the sort of stuff I do. And it, Yeah, I was looking at this. This game, it looks really pretty. It does. It's being done by Club Fantasy. It's currently over on Kickstarter. Um, for those who are interested in backing it, it's $89 on Kickstarter. The Kickstarter is going to be ending on December 2nd. Um, as of time of recording, they're not yet funded. I personally hope that they do fund. Um, let me tell you a bit about the mechanics of the game. You are a set of peacemakers trying to intercede in a war. So there's these two factions in the war. I think it's the Ocelots and the Macaws, I think, are the two sides. <laughs> so, yes, it's all... Uh, anthropomorphic animals and you're trying it brings uh figures right bring sculpted minis and it really reminds me of uh, mice and mystics yes it very much does um different art style to the to the minis but yes it very much does and uh, the minis are really well done and also one other nice component that they have to it there are these plastic snap-on bases that you use to organize each of the war sides into squads and keep track of them that way Setting aside all that, because I just want to talk more about the mechanics. Um, you are interceding in this war between the two sides, and your goal is to basically demotivate both sides and make them flee the battlefield to negotiate a truth. So you're trying to do peace. So all along, you have to balance your actions off to keep both sides in sort of an, uh, 
equal state. If one side will get more powerful than the other, then they'll win the battlefield and you will lose the mission. And you're using multi-use cards. Um, so each of the cards, you can either use it to let you do movement or fortify or influence, or you can use it for the actual card um, text itself. And those two things are really cool mechanics to me. I very much like the idea of the multi-use cards. This is something I like seeing in many different games that pops up in Bruges and Gloomhaven. I like multi-use cards and I like the idea of doing balance. Recently we saw another game, Cerebria, and they announced the third faction whose entire goal is to do balance between the two of them. I immediately said, Oh, I want to see a solo version of that where your goal is not to win, but to balance the, the two AIs to make sure that they all stay out even. And I saw that for Cerebria. And when I saw this one come out, I said, Oh, look, there it is. That looks really really cool. And another neat mechanic, I'm going to say this because we're talking about Gloomhaven, I mentioned it to Albert before, is that the deck for the various characters, it's sort of like the decks that you have for the enemies, excuse me, sort of like the decks in Gloomhaven, except they're all standard pieces, kind of. You'll have, like, let's say you have an archer unit on the board. So you will build the archer's deck and it's going to be composed mostly of attacks because the archer's not going to move around. He's going to launch from range. Whereas the swordsman units are going to be doing a lot of charging. They're going to move forward really fast. And so you'll build their deck, but each of those are coming from sort of a standard deck. You just have to build it up. So every character's deck is going to be you every unit types deck is going to be unique as you mess around with it. That sort of reminded me about Gloomhaven, except that instead of having a whole set of deck for every character, you build a deck so that each character's deck seems unique. And I just think the game looks really nice. The game looks cool. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm hoping now, when you say, uh, when you say you build a deck, you mean it's a deck building mechanic or you know, construction, it's playing? part of the setup for the game. Okay. But the real reason why I wanted to talk about the game a bit is because I'm starting to see more games that this is a game that is basically a scenario game, like Wizard Academy that I talked about back then, um, where there's a set of scenarios in the game, and you could theoretically just pick your scenario and play through that scenario and see if you win. But this is actually more like Mechs vs. Minions, which is also a scenario-type game. But Mechs vs. Minions, like this one, you're designed to take each scenario in line. I don't know if there's a story to it, but you're it's designed, at least, that you're taking each scenario from one to the other. So you do one, two, three, four. And for this one, they've gone ahead and they've created a campaign deck where there's cards that are locked behind lockboxes so you can't access them till you get to later scenarios. And there's sealed containers and sealed envelopes that you can only access once you get to later scenarios. And yeah, that's, that's neat stuff. And I like that we're seeing that, but <laughs> is, is it a legacy game? It, it's well. It's only as much a legacy game as Mechs vs. Minions is because you unlock something, but there's no writing or anything like that. It's really just a campaign game or a scenario-based game. There's nothing stopping you from saying, "Hey, we had fun with that. Let's go open up. Let's go run scenario one again." I have new players here. You you could. There's nothing written. Okay. There's nothing down like that. There's nothing that there's nothing that carries over from game to game, other than the fact that new stuff is being unlocked later. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, see. I think, I mean, there's a certain, there's a little bit of stuff left over from the campaign. For example, if, if a leader is defeated, he doesn't come back later. But I mean, you could, let's like play saying with Arkham Horror also, there's standalone versions. You just don't, you don't, I don't know, you know, nothing, nothing is destroyed or altered or written. It's a scenario game. And it, it reminds me of something I was thinking about from Max vs. Minion also and how we're seeing more of these type of things about people creating scenario games but then locking them behind boxes. I personally like what they're doing. I understand the psychology of what they're doing also because there's a certain amount of psychology of opening up new stuff. And we probably just now talked about it with the um, the collective acquisition disorder um thread geek list it's a new shiny this just happens to be a new shiny that you already have in your 
in your <laughs> in your game box. It's it's something new that you haven't been able to see before, and now you get to open it up. It's a new prize that you get to open up for getting getting to the next scenario. Whereas when you're playing Wizards Academy, you open it up, you can play any of the scenarios you want. Nothing's stopping you from doing one or the other. There's not mm. that tangible sense of achievement, of moving on, of unlocking a further thing. I don't know. If- this means I might actually make it to the last scenario. Why? Because <laughs> right. there's shiny stuff to unlock, right? Other games where everything's visible from the beginning, you know, just haven't gotten around to finishing them. I hear that. I, I mean, I can't <laughs> think of too many that are like that. Like with Wizards Academy, for example, I don't think still I've played all well, – I've played all of the basic ones. I don't think I played all the extra ones because I didn't like them as much as I like the basic ones. So I don't know. Maybe I would have if I liked them more. Who knows? But <laughs> – <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's really neat what it is that they're doing. And I think that I don't know if they're learning from the success of things like Gloomhaven and Next versus Minions, or if we're learning this more from video games, because video games very much did it. You know, in in yeah. a video game, you have one thing, you have a goal, you finish that goal, that scenario, and you move on to the next one. Many video games, you can go back and redo old areas and pick up new stuff. But in all reality, usually, it's a matter of you finish this scenario, you beat this boss, you finish this level, a new shiny, you get rewarded, you get to go on to the next one. And your reward is always a sense of achievement and a sense of advancement. And we're seeing that more and more from these things. You know, you should be aware as a consumer that there's a certain amount of endorphins and brain mechanics that they're trying to work with your head. You have to be aware of it, which is why if I didn't think the game mechanically was really interesting, I wouldn't be excited about this game. But I know that the, or I believe that the mechanics of this game are very interesting. And I believe that the unlock system that we have for this will continue to make investment as we go through it. And as long as it's just as much fun to go through it a second time, like with Mechs versus Minions, I think that'll still be fun. But I definitely hear people who complain about Mechs versus Minions that playing through it a second time when already all that rush of unlocking and advancement and achievement are gone, that the game isn't as much fun. And as a consumer and as reviewers ourselves, we sort of have to be aware of the trick that the brain is doing with this and the trick that designers are doing also. Presumably the designers know what they're doing when they do this too. Mm -hmm. And we have to be aware of this as good reviewers and good consumers of the trick that they're doing so that we remain satisfied with our games and so that we're making good purchases for us. But I'm excited to see more good games using this mechanic and ensuring that they have ways to make it last. You know, Mix versus Minions has the campaign builder, has the hard modes, has the extra challenges. And I know the one player guild also is a great place to get more life out of these things. We see the challenges and things like we have like for, um, Odin's uh, Feast for Odin, we see those challenges coming out, and I'm half expecting somebody to publish a book of all of them one point time. There's so many. <laughs> and those are great ways to continue to build it, which don't require an achievement advancement, are good ways to build continue lasting fun. But I like that we continue to see it, and it's really exciting to continue to see it. And so sort of that's just something I want to say as I see an industry trend growing and sort of seeing it in this game is sort of showing it to me as this industry trend continues. And I like seeing it. Yep. Yeah. Excuse me. I'm tired. (laughs) I lost, I lost Albert in sort of my, uh, I guess that maybe I'm not sure if that was a soapbox or just an excited spiel. Who knows? But (laughs) I just daylight savings is what it is. It's getting to me. And uh, you know, I agree with all stuff you're saying. It really is cool. I like the idea of getting to to see a little bit of time. It'll keep the the game interesting for a long time. You know, in a way, it reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. The way I've been playing it is, I I won't open the the next pack until I have finished the the current adventure. Mm-hmm. Right, so I've got unopened packs waiting for me to to see them, and that motivates me to keep going and, and see what else is happening and unlock more cards that weren't available to me before. So, which you know has worked nicely. I, you know. There's one other thing I really like about this game. One of the stretch goals is a sloth token. A slow <laughs> player token to pass around during the game just for fun. Yeah, I saw that. 
I don't know why that, I, that's, it's funny to me that they're doing it. I mean, the components yeah. already look really good. They do. So. Yeah, all the components look great in this game. The art, the, the miniatures, the Kickstarter looks very well done and polished. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's called fantasy. They they do good stuff. You know? Mm-hmm. So, anyway. And this is not the first game in this setting. I, I saw this. It is not. Dale of Merchants Analia. is other games that they've had in this setting. Okay. And I'm not familiar with that one at all. But I'm curious about it now. Uh, it's a, I believe it's an economic Euro type game. Okay. I'll check it out. And and I think that's it for the news. Right? And Which is probably just as well because we've been on the news for a while. Sure. But I, let me say one thing. <laughs> Um, if anybody's interested in backing Dawn of Peacemakers, by the way, again, at the time of this recording, they're about halfway funded. Feel free to come join me over there. Um, I'd love to see some people coming over and commenting that you came over here from the One Player Guild, the One Player Podcast. I'll make sure to give you a thumbs up if you see it over there. Um, but I'd love to see this one get funded because it looks interesting to me. I really like that balance mechanic. So I'd love to see some people over there on that community over there. Very cool. Alrighty, Albert, I think we're done with the news. You ready to talk about hot shots? Yeah, let, let's move on to hot shots. Let's do that. Here we go. Fire! Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, not that kind, you mean. Sorry. No, no, there's a fire. Watch out. The forest is the burning down. I'm glad that neither of us are in a theater. No. <laughs> So, Hot Shots is a recently released game from Fireside Game, where you are a set of firefighters. Um, as opposed to Flashpoint, where you're firefighters in the city, here you are firefighters in remote forest areas, and you get to fight forest fires. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another game that has that theme. Have you ever played Smoke Jumpers? I've heard of it. I've not played it. Okay. That one is a lot more complex and and i guess i'd say realistic so so if you're looking for something like that there is a game like that already go check it out i may have to go check that out because for me and we'll probably get to this later one of the big draws for this is because flashpoint fire rescue is one of my favorite games and um as much as i don't like the publisher it's one of my favorite games and so for me i really was interested in the theme of this game but a basic summary of the game. This is a co-op game where you are going to be fighting against this fire. The game starts with a number of fire tokens on the board. And on your turn, you're going to move to one of the fire areas, to, to somewhere there's a fire to put out. Mm-hmm. One second. You're going to move to somewhere there's a fire to put out. And then you're going to attempt to fight the fire. And so you'll roll these dice. You have six dice, all of them custom. Each side a different face. And you have to roll to match all the icons on the space that you have. And the reward that you get is based on the number of matching icons. If you bust, then you cause more fire to go out. If you succeed, then you put out fire and you may get other bonuses. After that, you draw a fire card, which makes more fire come out, oh, wherever it says on the board or whatever it says to. And keep doing that until either you put out the fire or too many places have scorched and you no longer get that ability anymore. And that's Hot Shots in a summary. Yep. It's a pretty straightforward, simple, simple to play game, more or less. So let's talk about the rules, Albert. All right. Um, you know, I, I find these rules familiar in that I've played at least one other Fireside game, which is Castle Panic. Mm-hmm. I find the rules easy to read and easy to follow and to learn the game from, but I did not find them uh, as a good reference. You know, I find it hard to jump in and find what I'm looking for later on. Did you think I that was the same here? in the back of the book or something. What's that? And did you think that was the same here? I think it's the same thing here, yes. Okay. I didn't find – well – for me, the parts that I was trying to reference were in the same place, so I didn't really find it a problem about referencing. But for me, I definitely had to do a lot of referencing for what stuff does. And it's more that I just had to some sort of sit there with the rules as I'm playing through the first game, constantly referring back to them. More I'm referring back to the graphics on the fire cards. Um, the fire cards 
sort of a very important part. At the end of your turn, the last thing you do is you'll draw a fire card. And so they have various different icons on them. So for example, it could say that a tile with a scorch limit of four put two fire tokens on it. In general, those are not so hard to do, but I still had to find myself referring back to it to see what exactly it does. The ones that I thought were the hardest for me to have to keep referring back to are the wind cards. There's a mechanic in the game that you start with the wind at a, excuse me, you start with the wind in a certain direction. And every time various wind cards come out, it can change direction of it or it can blow fire around and do all sorts of different things. It can cause extra fire to come out in a line or it can hop over these sort of fire breaks that you may put out. I very rarely put them out. We'll get back to that in gameplay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I constantly had to refer back to the rules to see what all of these did because it just wasn't the, the text. It's a picture of wind. <laughs> like, what does it do? <laughs> yep. And go back to the rule book, find the section on wind and, and figure it out. Right. And that's what I'm saying. I kind of find that hard. I haven't always go find the right section of the rule book. I wish there was a summary in the back. I also think, I mean, maybe your issue was that the headings are kind of strange. Like, for example, scorching, which is what happens if if a tile has too many fire tokens on it, it scorches and causes more fire to come somewhere else. That can happen either from a flame card or from a failed roll. And mm-hmm. it's sort of included in the flame card section, and everything that happens about it is on the flame card section. You sort of have to read through the whole scorching section. I don't know, maybe that's what you're having issues with? I mean, yeah, that, that's part of it. It's just, I don't know, just in general, I found it. I didn't enjoy having to go back to the book. Every time I need to go back, I thought I'd get frustrated trying to find it, mm-hmm. whatever it was. And, and, you know, Grant, I should say, I only got to play this game one time, and it was a few weeks ago. Julia's a much better expert at it. Yeah, I've played it a lot of times at this point in time. Okay. I play, I've played it, I don't know, I can't even count more than 10, probably substantially more than 10 times at this point in time. Okay. So I don't know. I don't think I had at this point in time, even I don't have to look at the rules except for with three. Well, I do have to look at the rules for another portion, which is the reward tokens. If you succeed, sometimes you may get a reward token, um, which are these small circular discs that have a picture on one side of something they give to you. Most of them are pretty clear about what they do. Some of them are less clear about what they do. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. I-, I wish that was in the back of the book. It is in the back of the book. Is it? Yeah. At the very last, in the back cover? No. it's the. That's that's what I wish. Yeah, I, I kind of wish it was, but the problem is, is that they needed two pages for reference because the terrain tiles which is another thing I had to refer to back at the beginning, the terrain tiles also have various different things about what they do. And you need a full reference for what the terrain tiles do also. You also, I wish they had a reference on this one page, which would be a nice two-page spread for your references. There's another terrain tile that has a set of planes and things, vehicles, this was a bit, this was a big fail for me because there's no reason why they couldn't have done this. The each, there's three different vehicles. And when you go to the vehicle tile, you can use those to do one of three different things, depending which vehicle is there. But without referring back to the rule book, you have no idea what it is. I don't even think, I don't even think it's very thematic, the synchronization between what they do. Like it carries water. You can't carry water on a line <laughs> with this one. You have to do it all in one place. Like why? I don't really get it. But they could have, with these tokens, it doesn't have to be randomized like with the support tokens. They could have put the vehicle picture on one side and a reference for what they do mechanically on the other side, like in Bruges. If you're familiar with Bruges, it's a Stefan Feld game where there are these negative tokens that come out over the course of the game that can hit you for bad things. One side is thematic, rats, and the other side is mechanic, it shows you a picture of you losing a player card. And that's great because I I can remember what the thematic is because thematic is cool. And I can flip it over and I can remember what the mechanic is. Why couldn't they do that with this? 
Why couldn't they at least place it in the rule book with all the rest of the bi- with all the rest of the major reference parts? Mm. Yep. Yep. No, no, I agree. I've played again. I've played enough times to this point in time. I can tell you right off the top of my head, probably with my eyes closed, what it is that all these things do. You know. So, having played it already enough times, I get it. But you know, definitely until I got it, they didn't. Yeah, yeah, and that, that was sort of my issue with it. And there's definitely and since I haven't played it as much as you have, it's a bigger issue for me. And there's definitely a couple times when the rules also just didn't answer questions. Like I got up to the variant that says here, there's at the end of the rules, which was nice. At the end of the rules, they have various variants to make the game harder and more difficult. But you get to it and it says players, this is a more difficult variant. Players lose the game if they ever need to add flame tokens to a tile, but they're none available. Um, well, what happens if you're not playing with that variant? What happens if you need to add flame tokens to a tile, but they're not available? I don't know. It's, yeah, it's nowhere in the rules. I think you lose the game, but who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, that's only if we're playing with the harder variant. So they did, the designer or Fireside did post up a fact, possibly better termed as an errata, um, <laughs> about, um, what happens in that and various other scenarios that the rules just didn't mention. And so you're technically supposed to use some other stand-ins. Until then, I'd been playing, oh, you just, you do a scorch right then. And then they published this and said, no, no, it's, you don't do a scorch, you just use something else as a stand-in. Usually cost mm-hmm. a scorch anyway, but irrelevant. Um, it did what it did. So, yeah. I don't know. I think the rules could have been better designed. I think I didn't have problems learning the game. That may just be because the game is a pretty simple game. But I definitely think yeah, there are parts and, of and there is that. It's it's a pretty light game. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll get back to that more in gameplay. How about for theme, Albert? What did you think about the theme? I like the theme. I, I thought it was I thought it was well done. I, you know, I'm going to jump ahead into components a bit, but I think that the theme's well done and the components really carry that along. I agree. Yeah. So let's talk about components then for a sec. One component that I really really like there are these nice plastic molded fire tokens. They're three dimensional fire tokens. They're really good. They make the, mm-hmm. they're big, they're chunky. You could probably take a bite out of them. Yeah, they make the game stand out. I think these fire tokens are are bigger, or possibly they they feel a bigger. I don't think they're quite bigger than your pawns for your characters, which are standees. They give an excellent presence on the table, and I think they're one of the best draws about the games. Is really this component, these flame tokens. The art on the tiles, the art on the characters, the custom dice. The dice are well done. Um, very easy to tell all the various sides. Um, the size on the pieces are all fine. The only issue I would have with the components would be the size of the fire cards. Did you note that these are not a standard size cards? I don't think they're standard, at least. I, did, I didn't notice. I didn't pay attention to them. They were small. They're small. They're teeny. I don't normally like dealing with such small cards. I find them hard to shuffle. And for this game, you have to actually stack the deck at the beginning of the game in a certain order. I found that difficult to do. I did not enjoy the size of these cards. Why couldn't they have been standard poker-sized cards? You could have even had more room to tell me what type of breeze it is and what it does if you had had that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, you could have put more rules on the card, and that, that would have been great. Yeah, that made the game so much better. You know, I did have one complaint about the components that I find, and again, it's only just having played one time that I kept forgetting that some of the tiles have special rules, and and some of these happen when the when the tile is scorched and you flip it over. I kind of wish at the back had a symbol somewhere saying, "Hey, this this tile's got a special rule. If you just flip it over, go go back and look at the other side, or something like that." Just to remind me. And I've got to say, I didn't really have that problem because um, I would always I, – I mean, I guess maybe I'm playing more strategically than you. I would be very aware of those things and be trying to avoid them. Be, yeah. Like there's one tile that makes extra fire come out or fire go everywhere. Or there's the tiles that make it so you lose your character power or things like that. And so I was very aware of those. So there's one tile where you lose all of your support tokens. You can't use support anymore. Um, yeah, I'm definitely aware of where those things are, so I know when they're coming. 
I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I only played once, and I think, you know, uh, the second time I play, I would be a little more aware, and the third time a little bit more, so it, it would work fine. As a, as a learning thing, it would be helpful. I suppose. I hear what you're saying. But then again, and I, I do realize that if they did that, and some of the tiles had something different in the back, it makes it a little harder to randomize it. I hear what you're saying. I think the only one that I wish would have been a bit bigger is the only tile that is an always-on negative event, which is for the power lines, which you can't use the helicopter or air tanker to put fires out on it. Mm -hmm. In all reality, that's a very minor thing, and I only rarely had to actually run into an issue with it. Um, So, yeah, there you go. Okay. All right, so so nice components. We're very happy with the components. I'm very happy with the components. Minor issue with the, well, issue. Good-sized issue with the fire cards, but definitely something that you can live with, especially if you have big hands like me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, my my complaints about the components are all trivial, really. So let's talk about gameplay. Yes. Um, So... So my experience of it, the game felt long and slow, and maybe it's because I was learning it. But after a while, it didn't feel like it was gonna change, and it just felt very repetitive. Yeah, if and I could not tell if it was gonna win. I kind of felt like I, I didn't stand a chance to win anymore at one point in the game, and there was probably a good fifteen minutes left to play. Yeah, it's here's the problem: is there's no there's, with what you're saying, there's no time-based mechanic working towards the end of it. If every turn you're putting out two fire tokens and clearing two fire tokens, then you're not going to win and you're not going to lose. You're going to keep doing that over and over again. You have to press your luck. Now that I... I mean, the game also doesn't actually say what happens if you go through the whole deck, which is you're supposed to shuffle the deck again. But and Mm -hmm. if you're playing... If you're playing with a more difficult variant, then you lose automatically. But if you're playing standard, it doesn't say what you do. And what you're supposed to do is just keep going. So if you are exactly tying the um, fire tokens, which means that you're not trying to press your luck and you're not playing that risky, and in my opinion, playing smart, you're not going to win. You're just going to keep putting out fire and matching the fire deck, which... Though, though eventually, it seemed like, you know, as more tiles start getting scorched... There are now less tiles that didn't get damage, so you, that gives you an advantage? That Well, only if it's enough to block off a full one. But if each time you're exactly matching the fire ones, then not. You know, it, it could be. I definitely think that there's a certain amount of strategy of losing until you can win easier, which feels wrong. When a tile is scorched, <laughs> it can no longer lose. So if you, say, scorch all the four tiles, all the tiles with the four scorch limit, then the fire deck can't attack those anymore. So every time a card with a four comes up, it just whiffs. So you sort of want to... And it blocks the spread of fire in that direction. Exactly. So you sort of want to lose strategically, which feels weird. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I mean, it's... Weird may not necessarily be a bad thing, but it feels weird to me that you want to lose strategically in order to win. I don't think you could win this with a perfect win with nothing getting scorched. I just don't think you can do it. Unless you get okay. super lucky. And just get awesome dice rolls from the get-go. That could happen. Being that it's a luck-based game, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of luck-based game, my problem for this is it feels really inconsistent to me in gameplay. Because it's really heavily luck-based. This is not like Castle Panic. This is very luck-based. In order to win, you have to push your luck. Because you have to make sure you're doing more fire off the board than fire going on the board. Right? Mm-hmm. And yep. you have to be pushing your luck. And on each tile, there are all, essentially you have to roll all sixes to get the best result. And essentially only sixes win. You could have, you could have chunked the dice entirely. You could have chunked the custom dice and just said sixes succeed. Everything else is a fail. And it would have been the exact same. You'd have had to work out some of the two of the player mechanic, player characters, but you didn't. It wouldn't have been that hard to fix this to just simply say every single tile sixes are a success. So just think about that. You have to roll all sixes with six dice to get the best result. And even the best result is not awesome. 
six gets you three flame tokens off. If you're on a five one, there's four there. That's not even fully out. If you roll, yep. if you roll four, which I think is kind of standard, that's only minus one flame. That's only one flame token off. So, so if it's not almost out already, you need to have five sixes out of six dice without busting, yeah, which is a lot. So you're really having to push your luck and you have to be very lucky to win, which can, in, in my feeling, just felt inconsistent. Mm-hmm. And, and j- just to, just to say something here, it, it isn't really five sixes that, you know, some tiles will have you get like maybe all six different symbols or some will have you get three of one and three of another or, or different combinations. And they, that does have statistically different chance probabilities of coming up. Um, it, it can matter. Is that, but is that really true? I be, yes. If I remember correctly, it really is true. Getting six sixes would be harder than getting a one, two, three, four, five, and six. I don't believe you for a second. Fact checking. No? Okay. Is six sixes on six dice more? <laughs> Likely than a straight calling you out, Albert. You know, I'm thinking of Yahtzee where, where it's much harder to get. Just a sec. A Yahtzee. Well, that's, I think, because with Yahtzee, it requires all six of, all six dice have to be used. I think that you... Right. When you so in Yahtzee, five, five of a kind is a Yahtzee. Six of a kind. But a large straight would be five in a row. Well, six of a kind is, is Yahtzee, no? No, it's only five dice. I don't know. We could leave this for the listeners. I bet you there's some math listeners out there who could help us with this. Probably. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear from some more of our mathy type listeners, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's the same. Here's one way to think of it. Here's one way to think of it. And I don't know if this is really applies or not. You know, so if you're trying to roll six sixes, the first die, you have to roll a six. Sure. The second die, you have to roll a six. Sure. The third die, you have to roll a six. So on, right? Each time you had one exact thing you needed to roll. Okay. If you're... If you're rolling a straight, the first die could be anything. The second die could be one of five different numbers. The next die could be one of four different numbers, then one of three different numbers, one of two different numbers, and finally one specific number. Or it becomes harder as, as you've locked in more dice. I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It still requires... I hear what you're saying. Yes. And I, I'm, I'm, probabilities are... I don't like probabilities. I always find them confusing because of this sort of scenarios. I don't know if what I said explains it or not, but in my mind, it seems to make sense, like you're saying. Okay, I hear what you're saying. Nonetheless, when you've got three dice facing you, and you need a bunch of different things... um. You know, you, you still have to get really lucky in order to win, regardless of how lucky you, mm-hmm. regardless of what yeah, the exact probabilities are. There are six specific things that you need, regardless of whether it's a straight you need or you need six of a kind. And we can talk about what the various probabilities are. You have to get pretty lucky, right? Yes, absolutely. And to me, that just felt really inconsistent, especially when you had to trust and luck to win. You had to. There was, you can use something strategically to, to do stuff, but you really had to trust to luck to win. Let's talk about mm-hmm. some of the strategy yeah. that there is here. And I think that some of the strategy is really inconsistent. For example, some of the characters. There's two characters that let you essentially swap between two icons each. Then there's another character that lets you, during your turn, Move one player one tile. That's actually pretty powerful, and here's why. If everyone's working mostly in tandem and theoretically putting out fires, you're not going to have two players usually on one tile. When you don't have two players on one tile, you get no support, which means that if you bust, you bust. If you have two players are on one tile, or if you're close to a lake, when you bust, you get one free reroll. You get to cancel one bust. The pit boss gives you one free one free bust avoidance because before you roll, you move another character onto your tile, and then on your turn, what instead of failing a roll, you get another shot at it. That felt huge, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so if you, you've locked in four dice, you get two. You roll the two, and and they both bust. 
you get a free reroll on those two. You get a free reroll, or even you can, or even you can have just simply stop. You don't need to take that reroll. It's a free extra chance at trying for something better. And if you go, you're good. You you can just keep going without any risk. It removes a bunch of risk. The other mm-hmm. two people who don't do it, all that risk is still there. That's what the crew boss with the spotter, which is even more inconsistently powerful. With the spotter, um, you get to look at the top two cards of the fire deck each time you draw it and pick one and put the other one on the top of the deck. And that's completely open information now. Which meant that whenever you're picking the fire deck, you can do it completely strategically. Imagine if in Pandemic, you're playing Pandemic and you get to pick which cities get infected. Yeah, <laughs> wow. That is... Easy game all of a sudden. It, yeah. It's well, super easier. It's super different when you're playing with the spotter yeah. than when you're not. Because now you can say, hey, I know four is about to flare up. Let's go clear four right now before it flares up. We don't even have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. What? I mean, or you can... Especially with these wind ones, unless you're using the spotter, there's these wind tokens that you can put out that block wind on certain cards only. Um, they block the wind from blowing flames. Now, in general, I almost never put that out if I'm not using a spotter, because who knows if it's ever useful. It's only useful if the wind's blowing in a certain direction, and if it's fire, and if it's the type of card that doesn't already blow over those tokens. But with the spotter... Yeah. I know when the wind's changing. I know where I need to put those tiles, those tokens, and so therefore I know what I'm going to do with them. That's the only time it's strategic or worth it at all to do it. Yep. Very inconsistent challenge, a very inconsistent strength of those characters. But barring those, you know, barring really using the crew boss and realizing, hey, I can do this with the crew boss or realizing, hey, I can do this with the spotter or realizing, hey, I need to get extra support. So let's work with support. Like even the rules say, hey, you need support. So for your starting game, make sure you put the lake in the center so that everyone gets maximum amount of support. Like it tells you. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's where's the strategy? It's just luck. It's just luck. Yeah. And that that's less fun. Yeah. L- luck is less fun. And th- having the strategy and the things that give you strategy always make it more much more interesting, though there isn't enough of that. Yeah. It sounds like. And that's... Well, you know, I, I, my re- recollection of um, Castle Panic is that the game was also not much fun. It, it, it was sort of consistent and repetitive and, and straightforward. Until you added expansions, and then suddenly the, the game turned really cool. The expansions, I, I, so maybe maybe they're going to come out with expansions at some point that will make this game shine. That is definitely true. I mean, even with Castle Panic, it's the game didn't feel unfair or unfun. It just felt really simple and light and basic ones. This wasn't simple and light. It's more like just out of your control. Like if you win, you win. You lose, mm-hmm. you lose. I didn't really. I just rolled well. With Castle Panic, the very least, I'm I had some fate influence in there, right? I don't think mm-hmm. in Castle Panic you could just pull a token like, oh god, I just lost because I pulled this token. You just won. <laughs> so yeah, I agree with you. With Castle Panic, it became worlds better after they included like the wizard the wizard one in Castle Panic. It became worlds better. Yeah. Maybe we'll see that with this one. I have no inside information about it. Who knows? Yep, same here. No idea. So we've kind of interrupted our rubric to for that little bit of tension. I think we've just about talked about gameplay. Um, another couple things we did have in our rubric for gameplay is, I think I've mentioned this before, that the back of the rulebook does give methods to make the game harder or easier. Um, I just want to throw out there that there's one that I thought made the game easier for me to understand and largely because it started removing luck. So when you start the game, and this is not in there, start the game, everyone gets a face-down uh, token, um, and that token counts as one support that you can play to cancel out a, a bust. And then as soon as you use that, it goes back into the pile. Instead of getting discarded from the game, it goes back in the tile as a regular token that can then be drawn face up and used for whatever its other side is. And so for me, that helped allow me to feel like I can try and push my luck a bit more when I was learning the game. And I was surprised to see that that wasn't in there. And to me, that just felt like a almost natural 
sort of introductory type of the game. It wasn't there. Otherwise, there's a whole bunch of other ones that make the game less difficult or more difficult. Um, definitely, if you play with all the difficulty, like some of the difficulty I almost feel like has to be there in the game. For example, lose the game if the fire deck runs out or lose the game if you need to add a flame token to a tile, but there are none available. I feel like those really should be part of the default game. And then there should be an easy mode that removes those because you need to have game end mechanics with that. Bah humbug. <laughs> so like some of them I feel should just be in there by default instead of on the more difficult version and not like they should be in the middle of the more difficult version either. They should be like the first options for the more difficult. Whatever. Yep. Anyway, I like that they're in there. I think it's good in there. The next part in our rubric is solo. And I think you were the one who really picked up on this one for solo, Albert. Yeah, I thought this was pretty neat. It's a, it's a little bit different. Um, for the solo rules say you control two firefighters exactly, and each turn you pick which one you want to use. Um, you know, a lot of other games, you like say Flashpoint, like you mentioned, or uh, Forbidden Island, or Pandemic. Any of these, you control multiple characters, and each turn you take turns with them, and you play with all of them in order every turn. Um, so I like what this did because, you know, you pick which one you want every time. If you want to pick the same character the whole game and never use a second one, you're welcome to do that. But you'll find that th there's it, there's definitely scenarios where you really want to use one or the other, and it becomes more strategic which character you pick to use. And I, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, I don't know why you couldn't do that with any other game, honestly, that that has where you're playing multiple characters solo. I don't know, because I think it would make it much more easy. Like with this one. Maybe. Like this one, you always or can more pick. strategic. Like with this one, you can always make sure, like, I, I didn't put out the fire in that spot, I can do it. Yeah, I guess it makes it more strategic. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's times, like, uh, where I, I, I took a turn with a scout, and I drew my two cards, and I said, oh, I'm going to play this one. I am not ready for that other card. Uh-huh. I need to wait a couple more turns. So I would keep playing the scout over and over keeping that card away until I was ready for it. Yeah, I hear that. And I thought that was nice. That was neat. To me, I, I mean, this was just so, it was weird, I thought, because I saw this in the rules, and I've talked before how every co-op, as a general rule, can be played solo by going multi-handed. And you have to follow the rules for multi-handed when you do that. And then this one says, you could play it solo co-op by playing multi-handed. But you get to pick whichever hand you want, whenever you want. I'm like, you could never do that in Arkham. Like, say, I want to take this one person's <laughs> turn. This person's going to take three turns this round, and this person's not going to take any. That would totally break Arkham. Arkham Horror, the card game. It would mm -hmm. break Yeah, it. that might. Well, I'll be interested in trying it with another game like Flashpoint. I, I the, hear you. I would think it might work okay in a game like that. Or you have the map and you could decide. And you're right. It might make it easy. It might make it too easy. Well. But maybe not. Maybe it'll just make it more interesting. Report Especially back and see what you think. Like, tell me what it yeah. feels like for, like, Pandemic or Flashpoint or pick another co-op. And I'm curious what you'll think. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing they said, and I don't know if it was deliberate, is you pick two characters to play. Yes. Right. You, you don't you don't use all four. Just two. Yes. So that, that was interesting. Yeah. That would be cool to see. I'm kind of curious how it would feel in other games, but it was just, it was, it was weird and very different. And mm -hmm. I don't know, uh, different isn't bad, but it's interesting that they did that. So that's the last part of our rubric. Albert, let's move on to our final thoughts. Yep. So we start off by saying what our favorite and our least favorite part of the game was. Albert, what's it for you? The, the fire, the cool fire and the, the pretty tiles. That's my favorite. Yeah, I gotta agree with you. The the plastic fire tokens here are really nice. Like, I wish I had some. I wish I had could think of some way that I could just steal these and put them over in my Flashpoint game. They just <laughs> look so nice. I think they're too big for my Flashpoint game, but they look really nice. Yeah, you might not have enough. You you might need two copies of the game for that. And what's your least favorite thing? <laughs> um, I'd say the gameplay. It 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 was interesting, but it it. You know, like we said, it just sort of felt like it was the same thing over and over. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. It's this is more the game like if I want to play with a kid and I don't I just want to let the game go for a ride and just see what happens when I don't really want to care that much about it. I just wanna roll some dice. If you just want to roll some dice and see what happens, sure, go ahead for it. 
Maybe you could play Rory Story Cubes if you really want to do that. <laughs> so you just want to roll some dice and see what happens, fine. For me, that wasn't awesome or amazing. So the fact that it was so lucky busting when there was nothing to do, like rolling six dice and not getting a single match. <laughs> yeah, and, and yet you said you've played it more than 10 times. So, I mean, so there must be something in there for no, you. No, I felt like as a reviewer, I should try not to let my initial um, dislike of the game color myself too strongly. And so I continue to play it to make sure it wasn't a strategic issue or a poor gameplay issue. Um, no, I largely just continued to play it to make sure that I was giving it a full fair share. Okay. Fair enough. If, if it were a game that I've been playing a whole bunch because I really thought it was great, um, you probably would have been hearing me mention it more earlier, say, Charterstone or one of, you know, the, there are certain games that you've heard me mention over and over again on our initial parts. This has not been one of them, even though I've been playing it for quite a while. <laughs> True. All right. Um, and so, final thoughts. So, thumbs um, up, thumbs down, or neutral. You know, I I only had one play, but I'll have to give it a thumbs down. Yeah, I kind of give it a thumbs down too, unfortunately. And I feel, you know, I feel bad. Maybe maybe when a uh, expansion comes out, to give it a, a something otherwise. But yeah, right now it's a thumbs down for me. I could definitely see like there's a type of person who would like it. You know, someone playing with younger kids, my daughter, who's six, she enjoys playing through it, even though she has no idea strategy because you don't need to. <laughs> but it's just not not my kind of game. I bought onto it because I really liked the theme. And I think this just mattered. Gotta, I, I, I need to be more careful of the type of stuff I'm looking at here. That's kind of probably what it is. All right, then. I so that's a wrap. That's a wrap. So that is Hot Shots. Fantastic. Thanks for listening, everyone. Alrighty. Good night, all. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.